Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And today we are recording live here at the Louisville Free Public Library. Yay! It's very exciting. There's people here. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming. We are um, very excited about this. So for those of you who are not familiar with the podcast, uh, what we do is... Both of us wanted to learn a little bit more about folklore in general, um, and we decided to make up an excuse to hang read out. things, hang out, and tell each other fun facts. And by and fun facts, she means she scares the pants off of me on the reg. Because it's fun. Because I'm a coward. Um, so I tend to cover events, folklore, myths that happen in the Americas, and Corinne uh, gets the fun job of condensing the rest of the world. Yes. We, well, we kind of have joint custody of parts of North America. That's true. It just, it depends on the vibes of the show and how much research that yes. we do. So today, um, as you guys all saw from the program title, we are covering ghost stories from Louisville and its sister cities. And I know a little later in the episode, Corinne is going to go over what on earth is a sister city. Because I didn't know. Um, I'm, you know, 35. I should maybe learn these things. Nah. So uh, to start with, for most episodes, we talk about whatever coffee we're drinking because you can't scare the pants off of each other if you're not caffeinated. This is correct. Um, so today we went to Full Stop which is a coffee shop and small grocery here in Louisville. And I got the Blackstrap Molasses Mocha that is delicious. I also have the Blackstrap Molasses Mocha, but that's because the drink that I wanted, they ran out of the rosemary syrup. So I had to come up with something on the fly, and I said, well, that sounds kind of tasty. And it is, in it's fact, delicious. kind of tasty. Um, feels very appropriate for this rainy dreary weather that yeah. we're having today um and a good atmospheric day for for recording so yes uh and corinne what is our tarot card for this episode okay so i am pulling from the moon prism tarot you finally actually get to see this deck i am excited every time we try and do this we have to do it separately and then my camera craps out and it's very sad uh this was a deck gifted to me by a friend of mine and listener of the show and I drew uh, The Hanged Man Reversed, which is all about, like, you know, you've been stuck in a moment of indecision. Um, you might have a little bit of a martyr complex, and you need to cut that crap out. And I'm, I hope it's not yelling at me, but these decks yell at me a lot. So, like, maybe I should kind of check myself before I wreck myself. I mean, I think it says a lot if you feel attacked. <laughs> Why? Why are we friends? Why did we do this? Because <sighs> we met in our 20s and just never stopped. Yeah, valid. 
Anyway, uh, so Amanda, Amanda, you you said you have scary stories that you're gonna scare the pants off. She texted me, y'all. She texted me yesterday and said, "I'm really sorry about the fact that you're not going to be able to sleep tonight." It's true. This is what I this is what I deal with, and I toned it down. Crap. <laughs> All right. Um. So first off, to cite my sources before I dive into the research, um, I drew from. An article from the Courier Journal titled Five Creepy Stories About Hauntings in Louisville. An article from OnlyInYourState.com titled Kentucky is Home to the Largest and Most Haunted Victorian Neighborhood in America. An article from SmileyPete.com titled Haunted Historic Homes in Old Louisville. And the book that I saw referenced throughout every (laughs) bit of research, uh, that I did. So, of course, I had to go on the Libby app and find it, download it, read it, include it here, which is Phantoms of Old Louisville, Ghostly Tales from America's Most Haunted Neighborhood by David Domine. So, a quick bit of information on the Old Louisville neighborhood itself before we dive into the ghosts. The neighborhood, which takes up over 40 city blocks, began in the 1870s as the suburbs of the city itself. Um, hard to think of Old Louisville as, wild as a suburb. A suburb. Um, but, you know, you think about the fact that Central Park was the front lawn for one home at what? one point in time. Mm-hmm. Huh. Before it was gifted to the city. Old Louisville currently has the largest number of restored Victorian homes in the country, and it is the third largest national preservation district. Homes in the area are built pretty darn sturdy. You know, even the ones that are in disrepair have pretty solid foundations. Um, They were often built with stones from local quarries. And something that I did not know before I did research for today Apparently, a lot of paranormal investigators claim that a nice, sturdy foundation, like the ones that you Mm -hmm. see in the old Victorian homes, increases the probability of spirit activity. Why? As it gives something solid for the spirits to latch onto. What? So, uh, what did the home inspector say about the foundation on your house, Corinne? I hate you. (laughs) I hate you. Why? So um, on our tour of Old Louisville, I thought, what better place to start than here at the main branch of the Louisville Free Public Library? This is cruel. Why? Yes. I, okay. Okay. Accept my fate. So in this very building, uh, people claim to have seen the misty, translucent form of a woman dressed Pretty typical of early 1900s fashion, floating about two feet off the ground, shelving books. I'm glad she has a job. <laughs> that ghost are employed, and I'm not. <laughs> um, when she looks over at you and she notices you, mm-hmm. um, people claim that it does feel like she notices you. I don't. She like sees that. you. You are there. No. And then she disappears. I hate this. People have also claimed that in the area where she is seen, books have fallen off shelves by themselves, have been reshelved incorrectly overnight. Rude. You know, just normal ghost stuff. Okay, I don't like this. Um, and I would like to be a little bit of a skeptic for a minute, a little bit of a downer. Um, 
I think it's interesting that the ghost of an early 1900s librarian likes to show up in an area of the building that wasn't built until the 1960s. Look, she got bored, okay? She got bored. She needed a change in scenery. Clearly. Um, But, you know, maybe I'll get a book thrown at me for saying that today. I probably deserve it. Um, Moving on. What is the first question that you ask when you meet someone new in Louisville? Where'd you go to high school? Exactly. So I would like to move on to a landmark that I know and love, my alma mater, Presentation Academy at Ah, the corner of 4th and Breckenridge. Prez was founded in 1831 by Sister Catherine Spaulding and the Sisters of Charity of Nazareth, or sorry, Mother Catherine Spaulding. The current building was built in 1893. Okay. It was the first Catholic school in Louisville, and it is Louisville's oldest existing school. Okay. So as you can imagine, there have been plenty of people passing through over time. Yes. Lots and lots of girls. And boys. And boys at one point, yes. Although that is really weird. My grandfather went to Prez. So (laughs) quick aside, going to Prez, trying to take the SAT on a Saturday, and suddenly there's a boy sitting in front of your seat where you do the, where, you know, you sit during theology class. Why? Yeah, no. I. Why is there a guy there? Because reasons. Uh, so a former student, Mandy Sedell, who graduated in the early 1980s, claims to have been in the hall between class when she was a junior, when she saw what she at first assumed to be a new student, until she noticed that she couldn't see anything below the hem of the skirt. And she didn't see any... She also couldn't see any arms. Okay, that's a little, that makes it hard to take notes. It does. Um, Just, you know, a head and a torso in an old-fashioned blouse, um, hairstyle completely out of date. Okay. Just floating on through the halls. And I just cannot think of anything worse than being stuck in high school forever. God. Like, that is not where I want to spend my afterlife. No, I liked high school and I wouldn't want to do that. Oh. Now, in the book Phantoms of Old Louisville, there is the story of a nun who died while falling down the iron stairs at Prez. Um, The iron stairs being the central stairwell in the school that has been there since the building was first built. Um, There are nice little divots in each stair from Hundreds and hundreds of girls walking up and down. They're only for seniors now, right? No, there is a separate senior stairwell. Okay. The iron stairs are for everyone. Gotcha. I couldn't remember. Yeah. No, the senior stairwell is nice and it's got carpet and it's really pretty and it's much more convenient to everywhere. Gotcha. Which is why only seniors get to use it. (laughs) Which is why only seniors get to use it. Um, Now, when I was in school, though, it was not the story of a nun falling down the stairs. Oh. The... Nun pressed the button for the elevator. The doors opened. Oh, no. She did not check to see if anything was there. Nope. She stepped through, fell straight to the ground. Thank you, Amanda, for giving me a new form of phobia. (laughs) That's what I do. Why? It's who I am. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) 
Um, so I just thought that was a fun evolution of the story. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, you know, the elevator one was just the confined to my class or... I mean, stories do evolve and change over time. Exactly. Um, I do know that the the story went that if you tried to use the elevator when you didn't have a valid reason because the elevator was only available to teachers and students who could not physically take the stairs, that the spirit of the woman would yell in your ears. (laughs) Sounds right. Telling you to stop being lazy and take the stairs. (laughs) That's painfully Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Um, So I just think that's neat. I don't, think I saw anything while I was in high school there, but I was also a really self-absorbed teenager. So there's a chance there were ghosts all around me. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know freshmen. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Um, So now venturing just outside of the preservation district is a story that I had never heard before doing this research. Um, and this one is a little bit more depressing because that's how I roll. Great, thanks. And that is the story of the dread woman who is seen at the corner of 12th and Zane. I, okay, I don't know this one. She appears as a woman in blood-covered, working-class Victorian clothing. And if she notices you, she will glare in your direction. And yeah. people say that it leaves you feeling... Like, A, she hates you. Okay. B, she is mad. Super. And C, she is distraught all at once. Now, author Kevin McQueen uncovered the story of a tragedy that occurred at the residence that once existed at the corner of 12th and Zane on April 18th, 1878. At that point in time, the neighborhood was a fairly poor immigrant neighborhood. Um, You know, the people who lived there didn't have as many options as people who lived within the preservation district. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a couple, Robert and Margaret Anderson, who lived at that residence with their five children. Okay. Robert returned to his home, just completely drunk. Super. And started yelling at her to turn turn over the wages that she earned as a washwoman so he could buy more booze. Great. Margaret, who was just fed up because he didn't contribute anything, she and the children often went hungry, all of her money went to either the kids or his drinking habit. Mm. Um, She was just done. Yeah. The arguments weren't uncommon. They often got into spats and fights, so no neighbors went to check on them immediately. Um, But this time, because as we all know, abuse escalates, Robert drew his knife and attacked her, leaving her on the floor of their home, bleeding from wounds on her chest and her neck. Uh, She was able to get to her neighbor's where they did attempt to provide medical care, but she succumbed to her injuries um, nine days later. Even worse. Oh, no. Amanda, no. Somehow, even though he was convicted 
and hanged for the crime, he managed to convince a judge to give him a private execution, which at the time was not the norm for anyone who didn't have money. Interesting. Um, So one of the theories surrounding her presence is she feels like he did not get a suitable punishment for what he did to her. Fair and valid. Um, And ultimately, their children, I could not find any information about what might have happened to the kids. Um, You know. Yeah. So. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, I am going to end it on a happier note. Thanks. So I wanted to tell you about another new to me story that as soon as I found this, when I was doing research for this show, I laughed so hard it scared my dog. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. So please let me tell you about the stick witch. The qua? I I said what I said. The stick witch of old Louisville. Uh, She appears as an old woman with disheveled gray hair. She wears a black robe, as all good witches should. Excellent. And she pushes a just really noisy, rickety, creaky cart filled to the brim with sticks. Okay, that sounds valid. Um, if you see her, be polite. Well, yes. I read, I read fairy tales. Yes. Say, excuse me. Don't stare. Give her a friendly smile. Don't do anything that she might consider offensive, because she will remember. Oh, great. And the day after you offend her, you will wake up to find a bundle of sticks bound with twine on your front porch. Okay. Um, Which I guess means that you can be an absolute terrible person to her if you live in an apartment. (laughs) Um, If you see the sticks, know that you've been marked. Great. You can expect a range of inconveniences to start happening. The cucumbers and red peppers will disappear from your garden. What garden? (laughs) Ripe tomatoes might fall from the sky and land on your head. Ew. Your oven might stop working. Oh, that's normal. (laughs) And horror of horrors, worst of all, any souffle you make will fall. (laughs) This witch has a really high opinion of how well I can cook. I don't... She just expects a lot of people. She's yeah, no, I ooh, no. Um, if these things happen, you must make amends. Okay. Um, I encourage everyone to pick up Phantoms of Old Louisville to read the full ritual because it is quite involved. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. But I will say, it involves peppermint candies. Okay. Bourbon. Excellent. Cake. Love that. An incantation. Okay. And a costume change. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I know. It made me so happy. That's wonderful. Okay. Um, And like, I'm not going to lie. I really, really, really want a job collecting sticks, cursing rude people, and then getting desserts and bourbon out of it. Yeah, that's... This is my dream job. You might not think this is what peak functionality looks like, but this is peak functionality right here. Exactly. And then uh, I know I said I would end it on a fun note, but why? since you come over to my house sometimes, I just wanted to let you know that yet again, Mm -hmm. the Google Home in my house has turned itself on to start playing Christmas music for no reason. I 
No, I don't. I don't like it. And last night when it did it, my dog started growling at it. So great! I love going to your house. It's super. He's also a good Jewish dog, though, so it could have just been the Christmas music. <laughs> you know, fair and valid. Fair I'm just and saying. Valid. Um, so that is my segment. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> um, def- actually, I, that wasn't too scurry, but it was Again, sad. I toned it down a little bit, um, and you know, I just know that you get to look over your shoulder until we leave this building. Thanks, and that gives me the warm fuzzies. God. Okay. Anyway, so obviously, my part in today's episode required a little bit of finessing, since uh, I do international stories, and international stories are not Louisville. Are you so, sure? I am, in fact, sure. Um, so I went ahead and when we started talking with the library about what we were going to do, I was like, oh, why don't I look at sister cities? That's a thing. And then I was like, hey, what, what is the sister cities program? So you all get to learn what I learned because I was curious before we get into any spooky stories. Uh, so city, sister cities international is the group in the United States that oversees our country's participation and um, the idea of sister or twin cities is actually quite old. In fact, the earliest noted twinning of towns happened in the 9th century between Le Mans, France, and Paderborn, Germany. But Sister Cities International was spun out post-World War II by President Eisenhower in an effort towards uniting people in cities across the gro- globe, I can speak, who wanted to create a free and peaceful world. And I am quoting from the Wikipedia article for that. Um, I didn't realize the program was that old. Yeah. So basically after World War II, a lot of uh, cities started twinning themselves. And this was just kind of the United States' concentrated, centralized effort to do that. Uh, Cities might match themselves because they have similarly sized populations. They might have an industry in common, or sometimes it's even similar demographics. So, for example, Portland, Oregon, and Bologna, Italy, linked up, at least in part because they are both very heavily involved in biotech and the education industries. Interesting. Uh, Whereas Chicago, Illinois, is linked to Warsaw, Poland, because Chicago has a large Polish population. Now, does that change if demographics start to shift? So, these are actually largely self-directed, which is kind of cool. Oh. Um, So, that's... It just it kind of depends. If you've got people pushing for a link to another city, it's more likely to happen. Um, Sister Cities is in charge of different cultural exchanges, humanitarian programs, uh, youth and education programs. Like when we were talking about this, you said that there were girls from Quito who studied at Prez. Yes, for about one week. Yeah. Uh, there are also economic and sustainable development programs that have sprung up through Sister Cities International. It's very cool. So currently, Louisville's sister cities include Zhejiang, China, Leeds in the UK, Mans, Germany, Montpellier, France, La Plata, Argentina, Quito, Ecuador, Perm, Russia, which is temporarily paused because of the ongoing war. Yeah. Which is actually con- uh, counter to what Sister Cities International recommends. Really? Yes. They did say, like, this is about promoting peace. We should not cut people off. Uh, then we also have a town called Tamale in Ghana and Adipazare in Turkey. And I'm really sorry if I mispronounce any of those. I Again, am- I give you the really tough part of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so now that I've talked about 
sister cities, it's time for ghost stories. Yay! Uh, as is pretty usual for me, I started with Montpellier because I should use my French degree for something. Um, so as I started searching, I found an article uh, from the Alliance Française in San Francisco. And as I started digging in more, I remembered that I read French. You do. So I went to Google.fr and I found more things. Look at you using that French degree. I know, right? So I found a story called The White Lady of palavas les flottes And palavas les flottes is a town in the Montpellier region. So I've decided it counts and it does actually involve Montpellier later in the story. So just after midnight, May 20th, 1981. Very recent. A group of four young adults was driving home after a night out. They'd been in Palavalifloot. It's on the coast. It's a great place to go hang out at the beach. You can go drinking. Super awesome. Uh, so they are driving home and they spotted an older looking woman who they estimated to be in her 50s, dressed all in white, standing on the side of the road. The driver and the front passenger, who were named Lionel and Thierry, stop the car, offer the woman a ride, and she accepts. She slides into the back seat and ends up sitting between their girlfriends, Florence and uh, Françoise. And once she's in the car, she really doesn't say anything. She's very quiet. I'm not sure if I was hitchhiking, I would want to sit in the middle. And yet. And yet. So they start driving along. And all of a sudden, the hitchhiker starts yelling, mind of the turn, mind of the turn, mind of the turn. So Lionel, the driver, slows down considerably, makes the turn very safely. And then the two women in the back seat start screaming. Oh. Because the woman who had been sitting in between them had just vanished from the car entirely. Yeah, I don't love that. No, I didn't love it either. So they report this to the local police in Montpellier. And consistently, all four of them keep telling more or less the same story within that standard deviation of eyewitness. Right. Uh, So it is believed that the hitchhiker they picked up was a dame blanche, or a white lady. They are common in French, German, and Dutch folklore. So would this be analogous to the hitchhiking ghost? I'm going to get to that. Yay! Because, so, um, they typically lurk along narrow passageways, bridges, ravines, that sort of thing. And uh, when La Dame Blanche sees someone, uh, she will ask for a favor. Sometimes it's dancing with her. It just, it could be anything. Uh, And if you... Ignore her, you end up, like, falling into thorns and briar patches on the side of the road. You know, like you. Like the stick witch, just be kind. Right? Um, However, La Dame Blanche isn't usually what we would classify as a hitchhiking ghost. Um, She actually seems to be more of a trickster figure. And less a reminder of some sort of extreme community tragedy like we talked about with hitchhiking ghosts. Um, and in La Marianne, which is a French magazine I found, they describe the Dame Blanche as being something between a ghost and a member of the fair folk. Oh, exactly who you want to run into. Right? But again, be polite and they don't mess with you too bad. Uh, so this was like a big story in Montpellier and all around France. Like, I was finding recent articles still discussing the story. Oh, wow. From like 2023, this year. Um... So even, like, later, like, a year later, even more, the interview, uh, the bleh, I can read my own writing. I'm so good at this. Um, they can, they were interviewing the witnesses again. And the story was still consistent. 
So one of the journalists who uh, interviewed them was recorded as saying, and I translated this myself, so maybe not the most accurate translations, but I don't know what they saw, but they appeared to me to be sincerely terrified. Uh, Many explanations for their experience have been put forth, like maybe they'd had too much to drink, maybe they'd been taking drugs, maybe they'd experienced some sort of mass hallucination, or maybe it was like a glitch in the matrix. Or, you know, maybe La Dame Blanche picked up some tips from a hitchhiking ghost. I don't know. I mean, American pop culture finds its way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So next up, we've got Leeds in England, uh, which is just chock-a-block full of ghosts, according to Google. It's it's old. It's an industrial town. A lot of death in England over the centuries. Who knew? Uh, So according to Hotels.com, the number one haunted place to visit if you're going to Leeds is the Temple Newsom House, which is home to a couple of different famous ghosts. Uh, According to one... There is the Blue Lady, and she is the ghost of a 14-year-old girl named Mary Ingram. Mm, Baby. Yeah. According to legend, uh, Mary Ingram was attacked by highwaymen on her way home from a party. All of her possessions were stolen, including her favorite pearl necklace. She manages to get home on foot, uh, immediately collapses, and the next day wakes up and has no memory of what has happened. But she can't find her necklace. It's still missing. So she starts tearing the house apart, trying to find her missing necklace. She's not eating. She's not drinking. She's not sleeping. She dies two weeks later. Oh, my God. Yeah. And her ghost is said to still be looking for her missing necklace. People have reported, um, like, the carpet. That's the word. The carpet will be rippling. Or uh, there will be sudden drops in temperature. And just other eerie happenings. And uh, Miss Mary is not the only ghost at the Temple Newsom house. Well, at least she has company. She has friends. So some visitors claim to hear the screams of one Phoebe Gray, who was a servant of the household. One night during a party, she was on the servant's stairs. She'd, you know, gone to grab a drink. And another servant of the household, William Collinson, surprised her. Because he really wanted to kiss her. Mm-hmm. Consent is key. Consent is key. And uh, everything really went terribly wrong. And Phoebe was suffocated. Right? I have had some bad kisses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like any sensible person, William chucks Phoebe's body down a well and runs away. Sure, like you do. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That Definitely makes me think that your version of events is the true one. 100%. Uh, he was eventually caught, tried, and put to death for the crime. But yeah, you can still see, you, or not see, you hear Phoebe's ghost screaming, which is great. Love that for me. And now for you. <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, but also the least creepy, we have the story of Cantunya and the Devil from Quito, Ecuador. So... After the Spanish conquistadors rolled through and colonized what is now Ecuador, uh, they were going to need some churches because, you know, you have to ask for forgiveness after all of the genocide and murder and absolutely destroying of the native populaces that they were doing. Oh, yeah. And then it's all wiped clean, right? Yeah, totally. Never a problem again. What reconciliation is for, clearly. Uh, Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the Franciscan priests were overseeing the building of the San Francisco Cathedral 
in downtown Quito, Ecuador. Apparently it's a really beautiful place, very popular to visit. Uh, and if you know anything about historical cathedrals, you know they take a very long time to build. Yes. So uh, at one point during the construction, the Franciscans hired an indigenous builder and architect named Cantunia to oversee the creation of an atrium as part of the complex that they were building. And uh, very crucially, Cantunia was given a very strict deadline for the completion of his portion of the cathedral. And depending on the story you hear, he either wasn't going to get paid if he didn't finish on time, or they were going to throw him in prison. Which is an interesting and still probably unethical approach to scope creep. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> so, maybe not the best way for project management to go forward, but you know. CEOs taking notes as you speak. That's what I'm here for. So the deadline is fast approaching, and our boy Kanzunya is like, oh, this is bad, this is really bad. Because mm-hmm. you know, he's either not going to get paid or he's going to end up in jail. Neither of which are great options. Right. So, as he's panicking, the devil appears to Kanthunya and offers to get the job done by the deadline in return for Kanthunya's immortal soul. Oh, is that all? Yeah. And Kanthunya's like, you know what? This is solid. This is a solid plan. Let's do it. Again, what could go wrong? So, the bargain is struck. And the devil gets a whole team of demons, and they are knocking out this atrium like nobody's business so that it is going to be finished at the deadline. Which, incidentally, is what happens when you hire a bunch of programmers. They will get it right at the deadline to finish the job. Yes, I yeah, you live am one. currently married to a programmer. That is <laughs> yep. the approach to most things in life. Yeah, so anyway, as the project is nearing completion, you know, the sun is about to rise, and Continue is like, you know, maybe I don't want to give my soul to Satan. That seems bad. Often. So, like Whole any, book about it. Yeah, right? Anyway, like a sensible person, he removes one brick from the wall and hides it. And uh, in some variants of the story, an angel is sent to help him and actually does the, the removing from the wall. But I kind of like him having ownership of this. So mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to go with that version. So the deadline is approaching. It's up. The devil is like... I have finished this job, and I have done it so well. Hand over your soul. And Kanthunya is like, well, actually, you didn't finish everything. See, (laughs) there's a stone missing from the wall. And so he rules lawyers the devil into not taking his soul. Uh, And I do like to, I'd like to note that A, in some versions of the story, Kanthunya is also the son of an Incan general who allegedly hid all of the gold from Quito from the conquistadors with the help from the devil. As you do. And B, if you go on a tour of the San Francisco Cathedral, the guides will actually point to a missing stone in the atrium. (laughs) Proof of how Cantunia outwitted the devil himself. Amazing. And that is my research. I just, I have to wonder how it would feel going to mass in a cathedral that the devil built. (laughs) 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 Like. I don't think he let them know that he hired subcontractors. <laughs> yes, but if they're showing it on tours now, I assume people are going to mass at the cathedral they do still in today. Just, it was the atrium. It's not the cathedral itself. It's not like it's not like the devil was building the nave. He was not up on the altar. <laughs> it's fine. It's totally fine. I don't know why you're so worried. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that is what I got for you. 
perfect. Um, I love that last story. Right? It was so great. <laughs> that is amazing. I was just, I just, I love a clever lad. <laughs> I love trickster figures. So it was really fun to find that one. And- well, and I love how many myths and folktales center around, I guess, outward smithing the devil. It's a, some of the oldest stories that we have mm-hmm. do come from that, which is also delightful. Which then to me, and I'm sure if I dove down into the research, like I definitely won't do <laughs> as soon as my son goes to sleep tonight, um, kind of makes me think about the intersection of devil myths and the intersection of myths about the fair folk and mm-hmm. how things may have evolved over time as Christianity became more did prevalent. Just, did we just uncover a new episode topic? I think we did. Crap. Okay. <laughs> Um, so we actually still have a little bit of time, so if you would like, we can open this up for some quick questions and answers, um, like you do, if, if anybody's got any questions that they want to find out about. Oh, who are the fair folk? So the fair folk is kind of a general catch-all term for fairies, for certain folk critters, um, like the Irish Banshee. Um, um a story that I think a lot of people have heard that is very fair folk is Rumpelstiltskin. You have this trickster figure coming, um, much like in Corinne's last story, offering a boon of some sort. For a very high price. Yes. Um, and that's not to say all fair folk across multiple um, regions operate in that way, but that... It, it's a pretty wide theme. Yeah, typically with the fair folk, there's always a little twist to the deal. So it takes someone even twistier to figure out how to get out of the bargain that they've just made. Yeah, uh, But you find similar stories across the globe. And fair folk is just... You don't want to call them fairies to their face. So you have different... Um, not pseudonyms, what's the word? That's the one. Euphemisms. There are euphemistic <laughs> phrases for referring to them because, you know, you call them by their name, you've got their attention and you don't want that. Yes. And, you know, it's wormed its way into everyday lives. You know, people say if you see a ring of mushrooms, don't step into it. That's a fairy ring. They'll whisk you away for seven years. Yes. Little things like that. Yeah. Okay. The ghost of the uh, this library, I believe you said it, sorts books poorly? Yeah, like, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> overnight, it'll go, mm, see, not a big fan of that Dewey guy. <laughs> We're going to shuffle things. And, like, to be fair, if you do any research into Dewey himself, you would also not be a big fan of that Dewey guy, so... <laughs> Question. Okay. Traditionally, if you're polite to a witch, if you give her, you know, your lunch or whatever, she grants you some sort of boon. If you're nice to the stick witch, does that mean that you become an awesome baker and gardener? Uh, I don't know what happens if you are just nice to her. Um, but from what I read, if you make your amends, uh, 
suddenly your cucumbers and red peppers will show back up in your garden. Your oven will work. Souffle is still skill dependent. (laughs) (laughs) I'd make a bargain with a witch to make a souffle that didn't deflate. (laughs) I think that's a fair trade, right? Sure. Sure. This is why I won't survive a horror movie. Just, you know, leave one brick out of your oven. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anything else? Yes. Yes. So the the ghost librarian, Mm -hmm. these stories come about before or after the movie Ghostbusters. I could not find a date (laughs) for when people said this, but it really does feel very Ghostbusters. It also, it also seems like a great excuse for somebody not shelving books right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't me. The ghost did it. It's not my fault. I don't know the alphabet. <laughs> that being said, my shoelace does come untied a lot on that floor. Mm. Ooh. Well, they did until I got the shoelaces. <laughs> well, clearly the ones that you had were offensive. <laughs> Uh, hold up. I have. A we do have a list. I have it. I have a whole tracker built into Notion because I have a problem. No, Notion is the best for people who like to hyper organize their lives. Um. Okay. Plenty notes. Uh, we still have to do folklore around death. Yes, we. Our most recent episode was about psychopomps. We're going to widen that topic a little bit to folklore and superstitions around death in general. And then after that, towards the end of our list, because we need to do another planning session. Yes. um, And one that will require a lot more research on our part to handle the topic respectfully is disability in folklore. Um, There's some really, really fun... Um, papers that I've seen come out about disability representation in traditional folklores and how it has or hasn't carried over into more modern day retellings. Yeah, and we've touched on it a little bit in other uh, Mm -hmm. episodes when it has arisen, but it's going to be a very interesting topic. And a shout out to the library. We use JSTOR to access a lot of the articles that we use for our research, and we get that access through the library. Yes. So if you are like, hey, these people are talking about some cool things. I want to do my own research. Use JSTOR through the library so that people see that we're using the library and we get more funding because libraries need monies. Yes. Uh, You can also access old um, Courier Journal... Journal? Courier Journal? (laughs) Courier Journal articles through the library. Um... Because I am a giant nerd sometimes. That is my favorite way to spend my son's nap time. <laughs> is to just go through, think of a topic that I want to look up, you know, derby parties. Pick a random year. Go ham. Yeah. We're perfectly normal 30-something-year-olds. Definitely. All right. I think. Does that wrap us up? Anybody else? Going once, going (laughs) twice. All right. All right. Well, thank you all so much for coming out. Uh, We really appreciate seeing you guys. And thank you again to the Louisville Free Public Library for hosting us. Nice.
thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire, copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. Never grew up